It's a fight. How many of you guys remember that when you were in, on the playground in high school or, or in uh, grade school? Grade school specifically. How many of you guys remember that? It's a, somebody would shout, it's a fight. It's a fight. And then everyone would go run, and then there'd be like two people there just like slapping at each other, and everybody would be cheering people on, right? Did everybody have that experience? Does that happen anymore? Or have we gotten past that as a society? I, as a kid, I was, never, I, I was never one to get into fights. Um, and, and when I say that, I'm, I'm referring to physical altercations. Verbally, I'll fight with anyone, anytime, in any moment. Um, uh, besides always being um, not so big-sized, uh, I always thought it was wiser or more prudent uh, to walk away from a fight than to engage a fight. I, just, I, I guess I just always figured the outcome um, was not likely to, to be in, in my favor. I mean, even if you won, like, what, what, what did winning mean? Like, you walked away with your, with your knuckles broken and maybe just, like, a black eye and the other guy had a broken nose. You know what I mean? Like, you walked away, what, what did you get out of it? So for me, as I always thought about it, I'm like, you know what? I, I just don't think this is worth me doing. I think in my entire life, I was in two fights. Once it was in fourth grade when somebody was picking on my little brother. Uh, and once as a sophomore in high school. And, and for me, I, I, after both those experiences, I thought, you know, this, this, this might not be worth my time. Um, that was one of those areas that highlighted the differences between me and my dad. Um, I love my dad and we got along great and I would consider us really close and I would consider him one of my, one of my best friends, but we, but we were really different in a lot of ways. I was a 150 pound soccer player in high school. My dad was a 215 pound middle linebacker. Um, my dad, my dad, when he got out of high school, he, he became a, an MP in the army and eventually was a 30 year veteran of the Milwaukee police department. I turned out to be a pastor. Um, I was the type to walk away from fights as a kid. And from what I understand, my, my dad was someone who was willing to run into fights. Um, and I say that's what I understand because obviously I wasn't around to see it. Um, but, but more than that, I don't think I, my dad ever told me stories of his fighting days. Uh, the only reason I know about it is because my dad's best friend from high school, Ron Davies, used to tell me about it. Ron actually attends here. And if you ever get a chance, you should ask him about some of these stories because they're pretty amazing. And I used to love it. One of my favorite things as a kid growing up was when we'd get together with Ron and some of my dad's buddies from high school. And Ron would begin to tell the stories of these street fights that they would get into. And I'd look over at my dad. He kind of put his head down just a little bit and begin to shake his head real slow. And look at me out of the corner of his eye like, Ron, please, I do not want my children to hear this story. And they were some of the best stories. I loved it because, because um, you know, as a kid, hearing your dad kind of be the hero is an amazing story, right? And especially as a kid, to see him get involved in the fights and be the one that, that would run in. And it was almost inevitable. It would be a story about how, how Ron or, or, one of, or one of my dad's other buddies when my dad wasn't around, would mouth off to some guy or some group of guys and, and get into some type of altercation uh, and then set a time uh, to meet in a park later so that they could go find my dad and bring my dad in to actually win the fight. Um, 
And, and my dad would, based, based on what I understand, reluctantly would come uh, to his friend's defense. Um, but it was always that reluctancy that was a part of the story that made me think my dad and I might not have been that far off. I, I walked away whenever I could, and I often thought that maybe dad would, would, would have too, but too often he felt maybe he couldn't. Um, because what was being asked of him required of him to get into the middle of the fight. Um, he felt that there was something there that required him to engage. I share the story because I feel as though it might be a good illustration of where many of us find ourselves in our faith. But we aren't even aware of it. That many of us, because of our reluctancy to engage in the fight, have, have denied or, or ignored the reality and the call to the fight. That we've found ourselves in a place where we don't want to engage in a fight that we are required to engage in. As you might imagine, the fight I'm talking about isn't, isn't some street fight in some park, but one of a much more spiritual nature. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. I want you to hear the totality. I want you to to hear the impact of the words that are written here in Ephesians chapter 6. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against authorities, against cosmic powers, against spiritual forces of evil. This is, I think, a fairly surprising message for many of us today, isn't it? We've worked so hard to fashion a, a rational, clean, natural Christian message. A message of the gospel that doesn't get too weird. And and this kind of message makes us a little uncomfortable. Spiritual forces of evil. How many of you, even as you you hear that, begin to think, this is kind of weird to me. This sounds more like the hobbit. But the word of God says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against spiritual forces of evil. I want you to hear the expansion of of this in the Amplified Bible. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural places. Spiritual forces of wickedness super, that in supernatural places. I want to highlight this because I genuinely feel our desire to create a natural, easily explainable Christianity instead of being challenged to understand the deeply supernatural nature of true Christianity has caused us to not be willing to engage in the spiritual fight. And because of that, it's been a detriment. It's a detriment to our own spiritual well-being and the spiritual well-being of those around us. There is a fight. 
Whether, whether you like it, whether you want it, whether you, whether you want to engage in it or not, there is a fight according to the Word of God. This passage tells us there is a spiritual battle taking place, that there are forces of evil at play, at work. And whether or not you want to admit it or engage it is irrelevant. It is the reality of every single believer. It's not just in this place that we find this idea presented in the Word of God. 2 Corinthians says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. What would they be of? The spirit, right? That there is a war in the spiritual realm. According to 2 Corinthians. 2 Thessalonians says the Lord is faithful and will protect you from what? The evil one. 1 Peter says, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. James 4 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Jesus in John 10 says, the devil, the thief, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And if you go to Matthew and Mark and Luke, you see an entire conversation about the devil attempting to tempt Jesus. I, I want to bring your mind to this. I, I want to bring, your, I wanna bring your, your consciousness to this reality that the Word of God tells us there is a spiritual enemy looking to destroy us. And I understand that, I understand that for a lot of us, we, we've stopped having that conversation. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, part of the reason why I'm, I'm delivering this message today is because I feel convicted that we haven't had this conversation enough as a church. There is an enemy of our soul. Too often in the American church, what we've wanted to do is we wanted to, as I said earlier, we wanted to fashion ourselves this, this very clean, this very, this very natural, this very normal kind of gospel message that deals with things kind of on a, on a, on a natural level because we are uncomfortable with the supernatural nature of really what Christianity is. I've always found that to be a weird thing. Have you ever really thought what we believe as Christians? We believe that, that God, a God, an entity that is bigger and greater than anything else created the world by speaking it into existence. We, we, we believe that he saw in us a brokenness, that we were broken in our, in, in our spirit, that, that, that because of sin entering into our lives, we were separated from him. His godness, we were separated from his godness. And so he had to send his son to die on the cross, and because he shed his blood, the innocent God-man Jesus, for those of us who believe in him, we have eternal life. That's Christianity, right? That's the Christian message, right? How many of you think that's supernatural? I've never understood why we, why we get uncomfortable with the idea of, of, of what the Word of God is saying, but the reality is we are in a supernatural fight as followers of Jesus Christ. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, forces of darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness in supernatural places. This to me, as I read this, seems to be an important battle we have to engage in. 
And, and the lack of conscious engagement might be what is causing many of us to struggle spiritually. Because we've kind of set this aside and we've tried to figure out a way to fashion our way through this fight, through this life, through this spirituality without understanding that we're engaged in a battle. It's fascinating because, because if you look at the definition of the Greek word translated as wrestle in this passage, pale, it says this, a contest between two in which each endeavors to throw the other and which is decided when the victor is able to hold his opponent down with his hand upon his neck. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. I genuinely believe that many of us are struggling in our spiritual walks because the enemy is choking out your spiritual breath. Because we have failed to engage in the fight. We've been thrown down and are attempting to to walk in faith while pinned to the ground by our necks, by the hand of the enemy. And so if that which stands to defeat us is of the spiritual nature, a supernatural nature, and it is actively malevolent toward our spiritual well-being, what do we do? How do we fight that fight? If we aren't allowed to simply walk away enthusiastically or reluctantly, we must fight the fight. If we're to survive spiritually, what do we do? The answer to that question is what ultimately brought me to choose to deliver this message this morning. I actually had something um, else prepared. I actually had a sermon all ready to go this morning. And, and as I was reading the scripture on my own, I came upon this morning's passage and was surprised by its placement in scripture. All these years of reading the Bible, being taught the Bible, studying the Bible, preparing messages from the Bible, I always seem to read this passage segmented or hear this passage segmented or be taught this passage segmented. There was the verse that we just read. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities, etc., etc. We'd hear that. I'd hear that taught. I'd hear that read. I'd hear that preached. I'd hear that that independent. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And and we we teach it in a much more general sense. Guys, you guys in the spirit realm, we we need to understand that the life we're living is not just physical, it's spiritual. We adhere it in that kind of context. And then... There was the rest of the passage that I would learn without connecting the two. What am I referring to? Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the full whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. 
In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith that with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now, I, I remember learning the analogy of the armor of God since I was a kid in Sunday school class. How many of you guys remember that? They always, they always had plastic, uh, plastic armor somewhere, right? And they had the words, the, the words written on it, you know, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. And they pick one kid out. And you always wanted to be that kid. And, and, and they would just, every week, they'd strap on another, another piece of the armor. So by the end of it, they're like, this is what you need to do, guys. I always heard that taught. I always heard that taught kind of disconnected from the rest of it. I, I, I've heard it taught in sermons. Strap on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Take up the shield of faith. But I really feel like I, I, I've always learned it in a utilitarian way. I, in this pragmatic way. More connected to simply living a better Christian life. But the passage is directly related to the spiritual fight, the the supernatural battle, the conflict against the cosmic powers of this present darkness. That putting on the armor of God is about the battle against the spiritual forces of wickedness in supernatural places that is looking to choke out your spiritual life. The passage expresses the means of us combating this malevolent, satanic threat to your spiritual well-being. The spiritual well-being of your family. The spiritual well-being of your church. The spiritual well-being of our communities. Put on the full armor of God. Now, as you can tell, in taking on this passage, I've taken on a lot. There's a lot here that, that needs to be unpacked. And I've chosen to, to address this in a standalone, and so I, I don't really feel like I can unpack this sufficiently. Maybe I'll adjust my teaching schedule and, and add a week to this conversation, but in spite of the time constraints, there are a couple of important truths I want, I want you to take home to aid you in this fight. There's a lot that we can talk about as it relates to the spiritual realm, as it relates to how, how we interact in a spiritual fight in the supernatural realm. There's a lot that we can talk about in each one of these points as it relates to the armor of God. But there's some things I want you guys to take home with you that I think will, will benefit you if you understand it and if you apply it and you pull it in. Start by looking just simply at the introduction of the passage we just read. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. What's the starting point of this conversation? The conversation here is, how is it do we win? How is it do we survive the supernatural fight, the supernatural attacks of the enemy? Where do we start? Where does he start this conversation? What does he begin, with, begin us to think about? It says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Uh, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of what? His might. 
in the strength of his might. He doesn't say, guys, there is this supernatural battle that you're going to be engaging in, and it's dependent on you. He doesn't say, guys, you have to be strong enough. You have to be the one that fights the fight. Because I don't know about you, but when I read how Satan is like a roaring lion looking, seeking whom he may devour, when I read that, 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 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but about principalities and powers uh, that, that, that rule over the darkness of this age, that, that, are, that are wicked forces in supernatural places, how many of you guys feel like, I'm prepared for that? But he starts off because he realizes that the challenge that is laid before us, the challenge he's about to express is that big, is that daunting. He says, guys, be strong in the Lord and in his strength. It's not in you. It's not by you. It's not through you. But it's about remembering and understanding that God is stronger than all. That God is the victor. That God has the strength. And he has not separated us from the source of that strength and said, you're on your own. This, I think, is as important of an idea to understand as anything as we talk about this conversation. Because so many of us are trying to do our Christian faith on our own. We have, we have gutted the idea of the supernatural relationship we have with God. We've, we've gutted this idea of the supernatural fight, the supernatural nature of this whole thing. And we're trying to do it in the natural. How many of you guys find yourself struggling when you do that? He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We have the strength of God to draw on. Now, a lot of us don't. And a lot of us don't because we don't really understand what we're doing as it relates to that and how that comes about in our lives. But that's where Paul doesn't leave us. He continues to walk us through this conversation. And, and if you begin to apply what he says, I think you'll begin to find the strength of the Lord to do what needs to be done. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Now, what does he say? Put on the whole armor of who? God, right? He reiterates in this declaration, guys, I want you to understand, even that which, is, even that which, which you're going to take, even that, the instruments that you're going to use to move forward in this fight is not of you. It's not of you. It's not from you. It's not by you. Put on the whole armor of God that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. I want you to take note that, that putting on the armor of God, that, that drawing from the strength of God, that, that they're bringing up from his might, from his strength, putting on the armor of God to engage this fight is for this purpose. So that you can stand against the schemes of Satan. This is a reality that we have to embrace, that we have to take hold of. We, we, can't, we, 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 can't, we can't live a Christian life without understanding that there is a malevolent force scheming for your destruction, your family's destruction, your community's destruction, your church's destruction. There is, there is a description here that I think we have to take hold of. I want to read you a quote from John Piper about this verse because I think he really spells it out beautifully. The devil has schemes in Guinea. 
He's got schemes in Minneapolis. He tailors his schemes. The Greek word is methodoios, the same word from which we get the word method. He's got methods. The devil has methods. He's got a book. I'm sure he's got a book. And he's got an American book. And he's got a Guinea book. And he's got a white middle class book. And he's got a wealthy book. And he's got a poor book. He has a book for every class of people so that his methods are tailor-made for your situation. To mess you up. To make you weak. To make you fall down. To ruin your life. So you can't ever say... If I could just get enough money, I'd be free from the methods. If I could just live in the right place, I'd be free from the methods. If I could just become a missionary, I'd be free from the methods. Or if I could not have a computer, I'd be free from the methods. Or whatever. Satan always has a new method for your new situation. He's got methods and schemes, and we have to have armor so that we can discern and figure out how to protect against it. Don't think that this is a passive enemy. He is looking to scheme and plan your destruction. He is looking to scheme and plan the destruction of your family. He's looking to scheme and plan the destruction of your marriage. He's looking to scheme and plan the destruction of your community and your society. And I'm going to tell you something. As I look around, I can see it. You, you can see it. You can see it as you, as you see a husband and wife and their, and their, and their marriage is, is disintegrating and you see the lies and you, and, and, and you see the deception. You see the darkness that is causing that. I see it as, as I see that these families falling apart and, and, and kids falling away. And you see the hand of Satan just working to, to, work to, to get these people destroyed and these kids involved in things. Looking at our community and our society at large. I can't tell you the number of times I've seen churches destroyed. And, I, and I'm telling you, it is the schemes of Satan as he blinds people's eyes and causes division amongst people. Satan is scheming against us. And we have to be aware of that. And then in the introduction, Paul wraps right back around by emphasizing it's not in us when he says, take up the whole armor of God. Not you, not what you've got so that you may withstand in the evil day. Now with dependency on what God gives, what God provides, clearly established, Paul begins to describe what it is. Paul begins to describe what it is that, that God provides for us. What is this armor of God that will allow us to overcome the attacks of, this, of the enemy? What is it that God empowers with us to combat the schemes of Satan? The belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. The shoes of the gospel of peace. The shield of faith. The helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit. Now, as I said, there's a lot to unpack here. And I could, I could take time on each one of these and, and expand them. But I want you just to grasp in a brief way, how Paul is specifically speaking into our hearts and into our minds and into our spirits the gifts of God to us to combat all of the plans, all of the schemes of Satan. Each one of these acts is both supernatural defense and supernatural offense to combat the fight we are in. It is in embracing the, the, the sufficient work of God 
through Jesus Christ that gives us everything we need in our spiritual life. I want you to hear this again. I want you to understand this. It is embracing the totality of the work of Christ as true, as right, as real, that empowers us to combat the schemes of Satan. It is one of the great truths of how Satan destroys us in that he, he convinces us of lies. The Bible says that, that he is the accuser of the brethren. He is working to undermine what is true and right in the life of the believer. And when we give in to that, he's got us. And so Paul, in this description, creates this beautiful understanding of the sufficient work of Jesus Christ. We can overcome the schemes of Satan. We find ourselves living in a place where the truth of God clarifies where the belt of truth clarifies in the face of the lies of Satan and the temptations of the devil. The devil wants to lie to you. The devil wants to tempt you. And when the truth of who Christ is clarifies in our minds and in our hearts who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done for us, we can resist the devil. It's living in a place where the breastplate of righteousness given to us, imputed to us by the work of Christ, assures us in the face of the accuser of the brethren that we are his, that we are good because of the work of Jesus Christ. The breastplate of righteousness is that which Christ gave us and we put on ourselves. He did it. And so when the Satan comes and he says, you're not good enough, you, you haven't done enough, you're not right enough, the breastplate of the imputed righteousness of Christ on us protects us from those accusations. It's where we live in a place where, where, the, where the shoes of the gospel shod our feet. Because we walk on, we, we run in the reality of the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. Jesus Christ died on the cross for each one of us. He, he, he showed his love for you. He, he, he showed your value. One of the great things that destroys us is, 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 is our, our lack of, of self-image, our lack of our looking at ourselves and saying, I don't have value, I don't, I don't have purpose. We look around us and how many people are dealing with this place where depression and suicide is taking hold of them because they don't feel like they have value. Well, guess what? When I walk in the truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ loves you and chose you and saved you, my identity is not in whether or not some guy likes me or some girl likes me or some job is the right job. My identity is in the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you because he loved you. That's the gospel that shods our feet, that allows us to walk in truth. We put on. It says here that, that, that we have, we have the, the gospel of peace so that it passes all understanding, that renews our hearts and minds. We live in a place where the helmet of salvation guards our minds from the temptations of this world. Or we say, I value my salvation more 
than anything this world has to offer. Where we walk in a place with a shield of faith that has been provided by Christ protects us from living in fear and doubt about our circumstances and our future in spite of our spiritual attacks, in spite of sickness, in spite of, in spite of loss. I have the faith in Jesus Christ that he's my provider. And it is about living in a place where the sword of the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead has been given to us to be used to defeat the schemes of the evil one. The power of the Holy Spirit to defeat sickness and disease through the healing touch of Jesus Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit to speak words of wisdom and knowledge to transform the hearts of others. For the power of the Holy Spirit given to us to defeat addictions and strongholds and oppression in the name of Jesus Christ. This is the sword of the Spirit that sets us free. I want you guys to hear this this morning. Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is able to break the schemes of the devil that is holding you down. I was sharing with my wife last night that I felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me to give this message this morning. And she kind of stopped and she said, man, it's crazy you said that. She said, because last night after I left, after I left the community group meeting, I was driving. I felt the Holy Spirit oppress upon me to begin to pray for this morning service that God wants to break, break the hold that Satan has on people. That is the power of the sword of the Spirit to set us free. Each one of these, when put on, I want you to hear this, when put on by the believer transforms our thinking and even more deeply transforms our very knowing our very, our very knowledge, our, our very understanding of everything in the world. When we put that on and we say, listen, I don't look at things the way I used to look at things. I don't think about things the way I used to think about things. Yeah, I, the, the, the gifts of this world are nothing compared to the salvation I have. The, the accusations of others is nothing compared to the acceptance I have in Jesus Christ. It is in these things that we are able to enter into this world and the, and, and the schemes of Satan, the methods of Satan, the attacks of Satan have absolutely no hold on the believer because we are protected by the truth of who God is and what he's done in our lives. The problem is we don't shod ourselves with this reality. So, the, so Satan can come and destroy our hearts and destroy our minds and destroy our bodies and destroy our families and destroy our churches and destroy our communities. We need to be protected in our hearts and our minds so that truth defines us. So Satan has no effect on us. This is why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war in the to the according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. He's saying here, listen, when we understand, when we, when we, have, when we have put on the full armor of God, the full reality of the truth that God has done in our lives, everything that comes against us, we go, no, that's not true. That's not right. That's not real. And the attacks of Satan fall, fall by the wayside. 
It is a transformation of our thinking, of our knowing what is true. There's one more truth I need to highlight. That after all has been said to this point, might be the truth. After all I've said to this point, what what I want to point out now is probably the truth I definitely want the people of Mercy Hill to leave here with. After all is said and done, after all the descriptions, after all the truth poured out, flooded over the pages of this chapter, Paul establishes the undergirding of all of it with this statement. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Paul reiterates with this statement the reality that this whole thing is a spiritual fight that must be fought in the spiritual realm. Praying at all times in the Spirit. If that's not enough, he says, with all prayer and supplication, keeping you alert with all perseverance and making supplication for all the saints. Do you see how Paul emphasizes here over and over and over again? Guys, continually pray in the Spirit. Use all your prayers. He's like, it's all out there, guys. And and after you're doing all your prayers, I want you to intercede. I, I want you to stand in prayer for others. Because in prayer, you can win this fight. The the importance of prayer, prayer led by the Spirit alive in you, prayer by the Spirit leading you, praying for others, interceding in supplication to sustain you, to sustain others, cannot be overstated. He comes into this, he says, all of these things are true, but what I want you to do is I want you to stand and I want you to combat the devil with prayer given by the Spirit of God. I mean, almost every single one of us can probably sit and hear this and go, I don't pray enough. We, we, we have so, we've so disconnected ourselves from this idea that, that praying in the Spirit, praying by the Spirit, praying through the Spirit is essential to us combating the schemes of Satan. Many of us have relegated our prayer life to what we say before our meals, and many of us don't even do that. Many of us who call ourselves Christians are never engaging on that level with the Spirit of God is, is, is laying on our hearts and on our minds what to pray, interceding for others, praying supplication for those who are in need. When I, I want you guys to understand it. I, I, I've said this in the past. We struggle in prayer quite often, I think, because it is the most spiritual thing we are, engaged, we are asked to engage in. Now, now think about that. We can go through scripture all over the place and there's instructions to us as believers to do things, right? Help the poor, to, to forgive others, to, and all of these things that the word of God describes are easy things for us to really kind of get our hands on, right? I can do this. I can forgive people. I can say this. I can encourage people. I can, I, I, I can confess my sins. I can, all of these things are things that, that are very, we can do them in the natural. They're done, with, they're done with my mouth. They're done with my hands. They're done with my thought process. Then we get to prayer. Have you ever thought about that? We get to prayer. What's going on? 
I, I bow my head and I begin to pray things to God about things that are taking place in the world, in that realm. And, and, and for us, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't understand this. I don't get this. I don't know what's taking place. And so we kind of distance ourselves and distance ourselves from prayer because it's this odd thing that we do. That because we are natural beings, the natural is easier for us. But this entire conversation has been about the fact that this is not a fight in the natural. It's in the spiritual. Now, as I said, I, I, there's so much to unpack here. And, and talking about how God interacts with us and, and the spirit realm and all that kind of stuff is something we probably should have a long conversation about. But I want you to understand something. We need to be praying in the spirit. We need to be praying by the Spirit. We need to be engaging on a regular basis because it is the prayers of the saints that moves things in the spiritual realm. We are working to thwart the schemes of Satan, and we need to be in prayer. I mean, I can remember my mom's prayers. I can remember when my dad was in his addictions and my mom used to, used to lay, put us to bed at night and how she used to pray against the schemes of Satan. And she'd pray that my dad's, my dad's addiction would be broken. And his addiction was broken. God calls us to pray and move things in the spiritual realm. If you're not praying, I can almost guarantee you you're struggling. If you're not praying, I can almost guarantee you there's a struggle. Husbands and wives, we need to be praying for our marriages. That they would be protected against the schemes of Satan. Moms and dads, we need to be praying for our children. That they would be protected against the schemes of Satan. Members of Mercy Hill Church, we need to be praying for this church. That it would be protected against the schemes of Satan. And we need to be praying for our communities and our cities and our nations. That it would be protected against the schemes of Satan. There is a spiritual fight taking place on a spiritual level, and we have got to engage it on a spiritual level. He wants to destroy your family by destroying the body. He wants to defy the church, to undermine ministries, to hurt the name of Christ. And so we must be praying at all times in the spirit, making supplication for one another. It is a fight. Whatever our reluctancy or doubt is irrelevant. It is a fight. God has, and God has provided all that is needed to win the victory, to overcome the enemy. But we need to engage. If you are struggling this morning, I encourage you to take hold of this truth. If you're struggling in your faith, if you're struggling in your walk, if you're struggling in addiction, if you're struggling as your marriage is disintegrating, if you're struggling because your family is, is divided, be aware that Satan wants that. That Satan is probably orchestrating that. And it's time for us to stand. Put on the full armor of God. Pray in the spirit. And fight the fight. Because if we don't, we won't stand. We won't make it. And we'll be destroyed. It is a fight. The only question is, are you willing to fight it?